above will light a spark in your heart I'm a couch here with your family But in the blink of an eye it's all gone It's one and done And welcome to One and Done TV. I am one of your co-hosts, Ian Hamilton. And where's the beef? I'm his other co-host, John Polking. And this is the podcast where we review television shows that were canceled during or after their first and only season. Isn't that right, John? That is right. We are moonwalking on the graves of these shows, figuring out what they did, what they left behind, and ultimately what made them one and done. Today, we are traveling back in time to 2002 when they were traveling back in time to 1984 for the, <laughs> that 80s show. But before we get into that, let's talk a bit about what we've been watching. Ian, what have you been watching? John, I saw one of your favorite movies of 2022. What? Tar. I saw Tar 2. Avatar 2, <laughs> The Way of the Water. I have been waiting for the sequel to Tar 2, but... Uh, yeah, Kate Blanchett, quite a swimmer. Yeah, she can hold her breath for six and a half minutes. Did you know that? Wait, isn't that a thing in a recent movie where all these actors had to hold their breath for a long time? Yeah, oh, that was Avatar, Avatar 2. 2, the one that you just saw. <laughs> Good oh, God. That's right, because Kate Winslet had to hold her breath, and I didn't even know Kate Winslet was in it until I saw the credits. Yeah, she was the chieftain's uh, wife who had a very chill relationship with one of those whales. What did yes. you think of Avatar 2? Um, you know, if the first one was like Pocahontas meets Dancing with Wolves, this one is Pocahontas meets Dancing with Wolves meets Titanic meets Jurassic Park meets Rocky II. Robbie <laughs> said it was more like Aliens and he had three James Cameron movies to compare it to. Terminator 2 Judgment Day? Maybe. I didn't see any thumbs going down into lava, though, so I'm going to hold that one. Uh, maybe. Anyway, it was incredible. It was amazing. I'm so glad I saw it in IMAX 3D. It was mediocre as all hell, but <laughs> wow, what an incredible experience. Yeah, I really dug it. I had an absolute blast with it. It was big and loud and pretty. And no, there's nothing about the story that's too emotionally resonant. But you know what? There doesn't need to be. I'm good. But even with that, like, there's something about these big movies. And I think I've talked about this on here before. We're like something about the way they the colors and the way the camera moves and they swell the music. They trick my body into becoming more emotional than it would be, you know? I thought you were going to say they tricked your body into thinking you were on Pandora, you were a Navi, or you were that... I think, you know what, Ian? I don't think you would be a Navi. I think you'd be that kid spider. My dreads would not look good, just like <laughs> his don't. There were also a lot of plot holes, especially in that second half of the movie. Why did they need to call those paramedics out to the ocean lands? So that they can track their signal, John. That was the only reason why those medic guys were there. So anyway, uh, I sat next to someone who was seeing it the second time out of three times. He loves it. Uh, good for him. I had fun. Maybe I'd see it again in IMAX 3D, but I really wonder what the uh, 
rewatchability outside of an incredible cinematic experience could be for it. John, what have you watched? I watched a different kind of movie. I think the exact opposite of Avatar to The Way of Water, The Whale. Though there are whales in Avatar The Way of Water. Wow. But Brendan Fraser isn't. He is not. No. He is amazing in that movie. Like, really, really incredible. Are you part of the Brendan Fraser hive? Uh, the Fraser reconnaissance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love to see it. I haven't watched any Doom Patrol. I meant to watch that American Crime Story on FX that he was in, but I never did. Um, so I don't think I've actually seen any of his renewed work, but I would like to. I just haven't gotten around to it. But you were big into him when he was in his heyday, right? Of course. Who hasn't seen The Mummy and The Mummy 2 on TV a hundred thousand times? I think Blast from the Past is actually the movie that I might have seen the most with him in it. Weirdly I enough. love Blast from the Past. Like, legitimately. it's I love that movie so much. I made Natalie watch it like a year and a half ago. Holds up. Um, it does. It's, you know, it's, I guess, uh, probably a little bit problematic. I can't exactly remember why, but I'm sure it is. And it's a little cheesy. Well, speaking of problematic and cheesy, uh, The Whale is uh, both of those things as well. Uh, yeah. Brendan Fraser, great. Hong Chow, great. Sadie Sink, not understanding what she's doing in there. Samantha Morton, she's also there. The movie itself, it was a little too big for its britches, for lack of a better term, in terms of the sort of parable it was trying to tell. There was just a lot of big exposition and sort of swelling music, and it just felt too small while also trying to be too ambitious in a weird way. I don't really know how to describe it. It doesn't work, I think, for me as a movie, but as a showcase for great performances, yes, baby, yes. Uh, watch out for that tree, George, because it's showtime. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime! In 2002, Fox figured a spinoff of That 70s Show would be totally tubular. But its audience told the network to eat their shorts, as this one was canceled after 13 episodes. Today we are talking about That 80s Show. It shares a title with That 70s Show. It shares a network with That 70s Show. Is it related to That 70s Show at all? No. No, it is not. Not really at all. Ian, did you have a relationship with uh, That 70s Show? Oh, absolutely. I've watched it a bunch growing up. I um, wouldn't. It's a complicated relationship because I don't think it's a great show, but I do love it. You know, I mean, I've been in enough houses and basements of friends where it's on and we're watching it and I enjoy myself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I mean, I actually think Topher Grace is like the best part of that show. Yeah. And uh, the parents as well. And then... Unfortunately, I do enjoy the character Hyde. I think it's pretty real, actually. But obviously, Danny Masterson can never be in that 90s show, despite uh, 
his son being raised by Kitty and Red now, I think is what they're doing. By the way, we're reviewing this the day that that 90s show is dropping. Highly anticipated. Very, very needed. Oh my <laughs> God, everybody can't wait. It is the same uh, creative team that are coming back for that 90s show, which also drove the creation of that 80s show. Um, that 80s show is co-created by Mark Brazil, as well as Terry Turner and Bonnie Turner, who were all instrumental to the development of that 70s show. Ian, the Turners have a really rich resume, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they were writers on SNL, which is where... John Lithgow met them to make Third Rock from the Sun, where he won a bunch of Emmys. And I have to think that he's not the only person to win an Emmy for that show. But they wrote such beloved movies as Tommy Boy, Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, a little less beloved, Coneheads. The uh, Did I say the Brady Bunch movie? You might have, but uh, I would challenge you to say that Coneheads isn't really beloved. It is beloved by this man. Wow. right here sitting and talking. I rewatched it recently. I love the Coneheads. It's so funny. I swear. When's the last time you actually watched it? I Maybe when I was a kid. And I was like, huh, this is a thing. It's a very silly movie. I think for having a really small premise, they do a really good job with it. You know? Yeah. Um, they take it pretty far. But so th- their comedy writing 90s royalty, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So they made such a huge name for themselves on TV with that 70s show, which premiered, I think, in 1998. So it was in its fourth season in 2002 when that 80s show premiered in January. Actually, uh, Third Rock from the Sun was first. So they they won a bunch of Emmys. Then they did that 70s show. One of the producers and other co-creators of that 80s show, Linda Wallum, said when they were developing the show, she said, this is a show that really came out of conversations we had while working on that 70s show. We were talking about what we had been doing in the 80s and found that we had all been in pretty much the same situation, supporting ourselves with jobs we hated, but really burning to be in show business. But of course, for most people, the 80s were all about going out and getting your share of the money pie. So our characters are people who constantly are being pulled between their artistic dreams and commercial reality. Ian, when you watched that 80s show, did you feel that in the show's DNA? Uh, the commercial reality versus what? Artistic ambition. Um, I mean, Glenn Howerton was the musician of the show, and he didn't seem that ambitious. So, no, not really. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. So that 70s show starts in 76. Fourth season, they should theoretically be in 1980. We start that 80s show in 1984. But again, none of the characters are connected in any way to that 70s show. As far as I could tell, maybe it took place in Wisconsin also? No, San Diego. Well, that's weird because (laughs) the owner of the record store definitely has a Wisconsin accent. And Tuesday kind of does too. It seems very Midwestern to me. That's strange. Yeah, but San Diego is where the Midwestern misfits go to find the sun and surf and love. That's not a line in the show, or I think a line said anywhere in any context about San Diego. I'm sure we could sell it to Fox, though, if we made it a show. I think if we put that blank show in front of anything, 
then I think Fox would have picked it up in a heartbeat at that time. That stupid show. That podcast show. Oh, hey, I'm John. Hey, I'm podcast. (laughs) With that 80s show not being sort of a traditional, like, direct spinoff, like we've seen in other broadcast shows, you know, I think, like, Frasier obviously was a character on Cheers. Mork was a character on that other 1980s show that I can't All right, remember. let me take you through all the Happy Days spinoffs. We got Mork and Mindy. We got Laverne and Shirley. And we have Joni Loves Chachi, John. All modern classics. But they were tied somewhat to that original property. What do you think was the thinking behind making this that 80 show sort of its own thing. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. It's just for that 70s show, people loved the vibe, I think in a lot of ways. Also the aesthetic, you know, I like watching it for the shag carpeting. I love watching it because their kitchen looks like my parents' old kitchen when I was a kid, you know, stuff like that. And uh, not to mention the shaggy hair the weed and the free love. It's interesting that you talk about the vibe because I came across this. It wasn't even part of like an article. This was a comment on a YouTube video that I was watching about that 80s show while I was doing research for this episode. And I wanted to read this whole comment because I think it kind of speaks to the vibe that they were trying to go for. So here's the full comment. I worked as a young writer on that 70s show, so I can give a bit of perspective as to what happened with that 80s show. When they first began developing and writing that 70s show, the title was not the title, but a placeholder to identify the show because it took place in the 70s. This is common with titles because often they won't actually finalize the title of a show until they get a better idea of characters, plot, etc., as well as what marketing says might sell or resonate with target audiences. I remember titles being floated around based on 70s songs. They were thinking in the mindset of a dazed and confused style title. However, as time went on, they simply gave up and went on with the placeholder title, That 70s Show, because no one could really agree on anything. By this time, the first season was written and being filmed. So the show, although titled like it's going to focus on the 70s, it didn't and never was intended to focus on the time period. It's just by accident that the title seemed to say that it would focus on the 70s. So, as the seasons went on and the show was doing well, the spinoff talk began. They offered some of the lower-level writers the opportunity to take the reins, being basically supervised and assisted by senior writers like Mark, Bonnie, and Terry. By this time, I feel the focus for that 80s show did become about the time period, because the title of the spinoff show had to be that 80s show. It's odd. I remember sitting in a room being offered an opportunity to write for the show, but the producers and other executives pitched it as a time period piece. Many of us felt the same way. That 70s show isn't about the 70s. So why is that 80s show being pitched this way? It's simple in my opinion. For that 70s show, the title was the last thing finalized. For that 80s show, the title was the first thing finalized. This approach and the fundamental rule of Hollywood is that is what doomed it shortly after it was pitched, as far as I believe. I thought that was a really interesting perspective on that. This idea of that 70s show starting off being about the characters, that 80s show starting off as being about the decade. Yeah, it's a classic boardroom idea or, you know, some executive had the idea of, hey, we have that 70s show. 
let's make that 80s show. And it was like, yeah, what a great idea. As if literally anyone couldn't have thought of that. <laughs> literally well, so many people sitting at home were like, why don't they do that 80s show? Like, it doesn't shock me to hear any of that, but I'm glad somebody said it on the record for sure. Well, they switched out one word in the title, but they switched out a lot of different things in the show. And we'll get into those when we talk about the highlights right after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. Highlight. That 70s show was focused on the family of the Foremans. That 80s show is focused on the Howards, uh, a family living in 1984, San Diego. The main character of that 80s show is Corey Howard, played by Glenn Howerton of Mm -hmm. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia fame. This was his first big thing. He had a couple bit parts before that. But he's 22, struggling musician, a philosophy major. He's kind of this sort of embodiment of that thing we mentioned in the first section. Like his dad's trying to push him into the corporate world. He still wants to be in his music. I don't know. What did you think of Corey as a, as a lead character? Um, yeah, just like a pretty basic uh, sad boy, lovelorn type, a little bit. Mm, geeky's the wrong word. I guess it'd be artsy. Yeah. I don't know. He's just a little lame, to be honest. He's sensitive. Uh, he's sensitive, but nothing special. But he thinks he's special because he's sensitive, as so many of these characters uh, in movies and TV shows are. And uh, that's pretty much it. He also lives in his dad's house with his sister, Katie. Uh, she dropped out of college. Did you notice that she was always smiling? Like, always smiling. Yeah, I swear I have seen that actress play that character in something else before. She's just like, oh, I don't know. I'm just talking and smiling. (laughs) She also had a very interesting, almost, was it Philly accent? Where she she talked like this all the time? It was a lot That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, it was like... Midwestern or Canadian or something like I really couldn't place it, but a lot of them had seemed weirdly like they had Midwestern accents, whereas opposed to I feel like when I watch shows where it takes place in the Midwest, they all have New Jersey accents. (laughs) Yeah, she has like the face and demeanor of like an eternal optimist, but she doesn't really act like it. There isn't much to her character's drive other than this fact that she is a recent college dropout. She also has a boyfriend who is a Marine, this guy, Owen, who is probably outside of the core cast, like the most frequent recurring character as he frequently comes back from leave, presumably like that dude's yeah, on leave constantly. Out at sea all the time. He uh, 
finds his way back to her house far too often than is uh, probably, I, I guess I don't, I've never dated anyone in the military, but I got to think it doesn't work like that. Actually, I think that Tinsley has a little bit more depth to her than you'd give her credit for. Um, Tinsley's I'll, the actor, just to clarify. Katie oh, is the bad. character. Yeah. Um, clearly, I have a list of names in front of me. <laughs> but she dropped out of college, and her dad and her mom, after they got divorced, her dad basically just assumed that she would take on all of these like motherly household duties. Mm-hmm. And so when she drops out of college, she's filled with such guilt that she does do all these things to take care of her dad and then eventually kind of has to grow into her own person. I honestly, I'll put it out there. She was my favorite character and I thought she had the most weirdly going for her. I can see that she wasn't my favorite character. I'll reveal that in a little bit, but yeah, I think you're right. She does have a little bit more going for her. I think that idea of her dad pushing her into that sort of matriarch role was also kind of always there. It seemed like even before the show started, she was a bit passive and a bit of a pushover. And that was sort of amplified as a result of this situation. But yeah, I'll I'll give you that. There is more. Yeah. To and then by the end I- of the season, she's you know, pushed into becoming her own person and being like, dad, why don't you do some of this stuff? Which I, I appreciated. That was, you know, anyway. Especially continue. because her dad needed to be put in his place. He's RT. <laughs> Throughout the show. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Um, So RT is about the biggest epitome of like a divorced dad sleazebag that you could possibly think of. He just embodies this. He is also the symbol of sort of corporate greed in the eighties. He is the head of like a men's health, uh, sort of infomercial physical equipment for the home. Something like that. Something like that. He was, but then he also wanted to be like part of the gang. You know, he just kind of hang out with his kids and their friends a lot. And there was one episode where he was going to scold somebody, but then just decided he was too lazy and he didn't, which I, kind of appreciated as at least a bit of a turn on this uh, father character that could have been more one-dimensional. But for the most part, that was about as one-dimensional. I was going to say paper thin, but paper itself is two-dimensional at least. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I give credit to the writers more than the character to, to finally do something about it. For the most part, though, this character of R.T., like is going to the club with his son and daughter and he's like hitting on a woman. I think even the bartender calls RT likes him young. Yeah. He has uh, names for all the characters. He's like one beer, whatever he calls her. And then he goes, likes him young. How you doing? And yeah. he even is like hitting on a woman. And he's like, Corey comes up. And he's like, Oh, have you met my brother? It's like, Oh, yikes. This is who you are. But Corey isn't unemployed. He works at a record store, uh, which is sort of the other big set piece outside of the Howard home. The record store is run by a woman named Margaret, uh, played by the stand-up Margaret Smith. Uh, She is the owner of what's called Permanent Record, which is a good name for a record store, I will say. 
she has had an affair with pretty much every major rock star of the 70s and 80s, I think. Which is a pretty classic character for some reason. Yeah. There's a lot of shows and movies where there's this older person that used to be involved with famous people and they're always like, yeah, that's back when I was making out with Mickey Rooney in my 7052. <laughs> You're like, like, okay. I think they should have named a Chevy a 70. A 7052. <laughs> that sounds more like I'm making change. It's also a good conduit to reference a bunch of musicians like ZZ Top and Pat Benatar and just sort of get that instant nostalgia hit if one of the characters has slept with presumably every single one of them. The other co-worker at the record store is Tuesday. That is the character's name, not the day in which we are recording this episode. Tuesday is played by uh, Kyler Lee, who I know... I'm putting up my one finger because she is known for one thing, and that is not another teen movie. Which is probably one of the movies I have watched more than any other movie, I would say. I think I've probably seen not another teen movie at least 25 times in my life. You haven't seen another movie 25 times? I mean, I'm saying one of the most viewed movies. Yeah, no, I've seen The Room about 50 to 60 times. Okay, it's, it's yeah. nowhere and near. Thirty that. of those are in theaters too. I've spent a lot of money on Tommy Wiseau. That is for darn sure. But Kyler Lee, I think, is so good in not another teen movie. I was actually just rewatching it uh, before we recorded, and she plays the sort of Rachel Lee Cook stand-in in that movie. And I, not another teen movie is honestly just one of my favorite parody movies ever. I think it's just so funny, top to bottom. Yeah, so Tuesday as a character, she's a punk rocker. She uses possibly egg whites and spit in order to uh, make her hair into a series of spikes. Yes. Right? And she has a hard exterior, but it's because she's so sensitive on the inside, John. (laughs) Yeah, we learn so much about her that she's not just a punk rocker with a leather jacket. She may also be the key to Corey's heart. Aww. That's right. Freak out. Oh, wait. That's the <laughs> 70s. <laughs> There's also some hangers on. There's some friends uh, that the, the kids Stage have. Stage five clingers. <laughs> There's Roger, who's Corey's friend. He lives in sort of a, a makeshift apartment above RT's garage. He works at a car dealership. Roger is, by all accounts, the thing that we've talked about a million times, the sex-obsessed best friend. But he is different in that he can dance. He can dance, and he loves to dance, and they love to make him dance. And he's also got a bit of that Alex P. Keaton, Reagan-loving business-type young man thing about him. Yeah, he especially in the early episodes, he loves the idea of, you know, he is the greed is good character. He tries to embody that part of the 80s. He also later has a very competitive girlfriend named Patty, but she is mostly there to drag him away from scenes uh, to sleep with him. 
or make out or make out. That is true. There isn't. Thank there, you. They don't skip all the bases. Just a few. And then I think we round out the cast with the character Sophia, right? She's the last major one. Yeah. She starts out as Corey's ex-girlfriend and they're dancing at the club and bump into each other. And he's like, oh, hey, it's, it's awkward that we're here. But then like two episodes later, they decide that she actually owns the club. So she's 24 years old. Wait, she what? owns the club. Yes. Which is why later on in the series, she's like this big business person with RT and she works at his businesses because she's already a successful business owner, John. Oh, man. They didn't say how that happened. It was just like three episodes there. And they're like, oh, this is your club. And we're like, oh, OK. Now now she owns the club. And that's another wrinkle to her character outside of being uh, overtly bisexual and trying to grope on Corey's sister, Katie, constantly. Yeah, that was another highlight that I think is very integral to that 80s show, which is the insane amount of predatory behavior that happens in between and coming from most of the main cast. Sophia's bisexuality is very sort of integral to her character, especially in the first half of the season, because all Sophia does for pretty much the entire first six, seven episodes is hit on Katie and Katie constantly telling her that she's uncomfortable with the advances that Sophia is making on her. Yeah. She's like, Oh, that would be so nice if it wasn't also harassment, which Katie says with a smile on her face, which I appreciated about the Katie character. Yes. Because otherwise it would just be uncomfortable. <laughs> RT is also yeah. very aggressive with him hitting on Sophia constantly. I mean, Sophia sells hot tubs to older men and sort of uses her flirtatious behavior to convince RT to get a hot tub in his backyard. But RT makes like some comment about Sophia when he eventually hires her at his marketing firm talking about uh, she's got the goods upstairs and downstairs. And those are the kinds of lines that you can expect from that 80s show that will be met with one of the most obnoxious laugh tracks I think I've ever heard on a TV show. Right. Number one, most obnoxious coupling, obviously terrible show. And then number two, <laughs> that 80s show. Uh, did you notice that I'm having fun because me and John like to argue about the show coupling and I think the laugh track is really bad. Did you notice that in the pilot, when we open up on the club and people are just dancing, there's already big laughter happening on the laugh track? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and all there is on the screen is somebody kind of dressed like Boy George and somebody kind of in a rolled up suit jacket that's gray. That's right. And I mean, this show definitely delivers references as if they are the funniest thing that has ever ever been said by anyone there's scenes where they're in this club and somebody is holding one of those big old cell phones and he's like hey you won't believe it i'm on a phone in the club no i'm not at a pay phone it's a portable phone yeah and it only costs eight dollars a minute 
And my God, if you checked the seats of the studio audience that was watching that scene, they would all be just wet with pee because these people seem like they have fully left their bodies, experienced pure nirvana, and forgot how to maintain any sort of controls over their bodily functions. They loved the references. And how come they loved the references? Because the producers put the laugh track in there to make it seem like people love the references. Going back to when you said they created the show with the title first. Yeah. Um, I would say the first three to four episodes were really, really heavy in the 80s references. Just talking about clothing, Reagan, talking about like, I think it's Banaka, mm-hmm. uh, some product. I really have never known what it is. I just know it used <laughs> to be a product from that time period. Um, moon boots, uh, where's the beef, all that stuff. It was just like, it wasn't peppered in. It it was as if the pepper was the meal <laughs> and the pepperoni <laughs> was the seasoning. Hey, just give me one big pepper and just sort of grind some little flake meats over it, okay? That's what I want to eat. Yeah, We've been gobbling all of that up over the past few days as this show has been shoveling references into our face constantly. Um, I wrote a list of a few of them that were in oh, just please. those first couple episodes. We've got a singing scene with uh, to a Talking head song. We've got Love is a Battlefield being danced to. Uh, there's also some Dynasty references, Break into Electric Boogaloo, uh, which, again... This might have been one of the first like joke jokes that I heard in the first episode. Owen, when they come back from Breaking 2, he goes, I didn't see Breaking 1, so I was completely lost. <laughs> Which I was like, thank you, show, for delivering like a joke. They're singing Come on Eileen. Roger gets like the flash dance water poured on him at one point. Like the 80s are like New York in that they are a character unto themselves as part of the show. The eighties is one of the main characters of the show. In fact, it's the main character and everyone else just has to work around that character's comings and goings. Yeah. But I will say that after about the first four episodes, they seem to lay off a bit because what you wouldn't know from that seventies show, John is that they actually spend a decent amount of time, like driving around in the car you know, singing songs and talking. That's like hanging out down the street. Same old things we did last week. Yeah. So they tried to mimic that in that 80s show, like two or three times and then decided to drop it. And I was really grateful for that. See, I actually kind of liked some of those sing along things just because it made me feel like the characters actually liked each other, which was something that I didn't think was present throughout most of the show. Hmm. I I disagree with that. I I thought especially the last episode, they really came together on an emotional level, especially the ladies. Okay. The last episode that you are talking about is when Tuesday is having issues with Corey because they start dating about halfway through the season. Sophia's upset that her sister is getting married. It's not a strong reason for her to be upset, but the girls do rally around her despite it. Yeah, and Katie's upset with Owen, and so they're all sort of talking, but 
this is very, I think, indicative of the show and my general issues with it was that you had a room with four characters who we were supposed to understand that they were bonding and they were getting closer together. But all they were doing was talking about their problems and not listening to anything that anyone else was saying. And that was just sort of the general tone for that 80s show. Somebody would say a line and then the person whose line was next would say their line. And it probably wasn't too tied to the line before it. It wasn't very reactive. It wasn't very collaborative. It just felt like these were joke machines. And I put joke in very big, bold quotes. They threw a lot at the wall to see what would stick. That is definitely um, Bonnie and Terry Turner's like style. It, it really felt like they're writing, though, to be honest, because... I am a big Third Rock from the Sun fan. I actually, I think it's hilarious, but I do think that the fact that it's John Lithgow being crazy, like really elevates the material and Jane Curtin. But like, it's very much how all of their shows are. If there's 30 pages, there's probably eight jokes per page, you know, and not all of them are funny. And I'm Sure, you would argue that most are not, especially here. I'm fine with jokes not being funny. I just want them to be jokes. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that they they put a lot out there. They're like, they have the comedy math. All their scripts kind of look and sound the same um, in that way. No, if it was comedy math, it would be kindergarten, I think. But <laughs> we'll get there. Speaking of kindergarten math, I've got two of something. Ian's got two of something. We'll see if that makes four right after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. It's time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to every show that we watch. It could be the best. It could be the worst. It could be the grooviest. It could be the tooviest. Whatever it may be, we have decided to give these shows their just desserts. Ian and I each have two Dunzo Awards to give out to whatever we feel like it. Ian, where's the beef? What's your first Dunzo Award? My first Dunzo Award is the Evolution Award, which I give to the writers because I think that this is an easy show to hate on. And I want to at least give them credit for uh, about halfway through, they changed a lot of the characters' motivations. They gave them new things to do. I think they realized that the way that they started out, there was uh, not a lot of road ahead of them. So, like, Sophia, they had to switch her character motivations. Like, they're like, okay, she's not really into Katie anymore. Now she's a business person. And then with Roger, they gave her a girlfriend. And then with Corey and Tuesday, they got them together. You know, it was just like, I think that they acknowledged that things were not working and they changed. And for that, I am giving them credit. Okay, I would not say it's an evolution so much as it is a U-turn or some sort of hairpin turn at sure. the very least. Because, yeah, when you're talking about Sophia, yes, I did like that 
her main sort of narrative thrust became about her climbing the ranks at RT's company, as opposed to all she did was just mercilessly hit on Katie. And that was her entire thing. Hey, she also came up with clever schemes to try to sleep with her. Clever being... (laughs) Being a TV term. Clever being, I'm going to try to convince Katie and Owen to have a threesome with me. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to make strawberries and whipped cream. This is the kind of high intellect that we are dealing with. Hey, off camera, she had to seduce some sort of higher up in the Navy in order to convince him to let Owen have a two day, uh, leave so she could seduce him with the whipped cream and the strawberries. She, Oh my God. I forgot about that. She (laughs) beat his commanding officer at a round of golf. Sophia, the hot tub salesperson. Oh, that's what it was. She beat him in a round of golf. Yeah. She can do it all except for Katie. Uh, (laughs) What is your first Dunzo, John? My first Dunzo award goes to the game I'd actually want to play. And that would be the dynasty shots in the first episode. I actually enjoyed that scene. So this is a scene with Corey, Roger, and Katie. They have uh, shot glasses lined up filled with booze and they're watching dynasty. And anytime that somebody gets slapped in the show, they all take a shot. And Yeah, of course, Roger says something inappropriate. Katie slaps him and they all take a shot. Ha, ha, ha. We all laugh. I just thought it was one of the few things that I could actually see people doing as opposed to just like writers pushing onto people. It it seemed like something I would do with my friends like every week. And I I appreciated that. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's a friends. It's a show about friends. So they have to have sat around in the writer's room talking about things they've done with their friends and tried to incorporate them, you know? Yeah. But the fact that they didn't do more of that throughout the show frustrated me. Like I was like, you have these experiences that feel a little bit more personal. I saw it in that first episode and I don't think that that scene is great, but I wish there was more of that kind of thing where it was like, Oh, this feels like weirdly specific that it feels personal as opposed to, This is me remembering this time period because a lot of the show, I feel like, has a very cynical tone to it. Like, it does not like the 80s, but it feels like it's something that they need to do because that is, to use your word, the evolution of what that 70s show was. Mm -hmm. Ian, what is your second Dunzo Award? Uh, my second Dunzo Award is the Lessons Not Learned Award, <laughs> and both go to Roger and RT. Well, one's, both of them involve Roger, and one's got RT, I guess. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a scene, there's a whole episode where Roger, we finally go to the car dealership where he works at, and he's going to sell this old couple a car that they cannot afford, and he has a moral quandary over it. And shout out Rance Howard, the late, great Rance Howard is the old man. (laughs) Yeah. And then they're going to buy the car and he has this moral quandary over it. And he goes over to uh, another guy at the car dealership and he's like, but I can't sell them this. They can't afford it. And the guy goes, so you want me to close the deal? And he's like, yeah, we'll split the commission. 
And I just appreciated the fact that there was not a teaching learning moment there. Like they set it up as if it was going to be some kind of special episode and then it wasn't. And then later in the series, Katie hasn't told RT that she dropped out of school. So she fake goes to Cancun and stays in Roger's place. And when this ruse is up, Roger's like, oh yeah, Katie was sleeping in my bed last night. And RT is like, now wait a minute, we're going to have a big talk. And then Roger in a really stupid way, like slips and falls on the ground. And he's like, eh, you got your own problems and leaves. And uh, just again, I appreciated the fact that they didn't make us sit through some half-baked lesson and that they just cut and ran uh, because it really seemed like it was about to make me roll my eyes into the back of my head again and again and again until the tendons in my eyes detach (laughs) and the force created from my rolling eyes makes them pop out of my face. Man. Yeah. I was very close to that kind of physical pain as well, uh, watching scenes like that. But yeah, they had no pretensions about what they were. And they were just trying to get through the jokes onto the next scene. They weren't really trying to say anything big about life or love or anything. They were just trying to put people into funny scenarios and hope for the best. So I did appreciate that sort of lack of an air of emotional satisfaction. Okay. What's your second Dunzo? My second Dunzo is the Spark of Chemistry Award. And that goes to Corey and Tuesday. So I think Tuesday was my favorite character. I I get that. And I'm really glad you're saying that because I wanted to give her more credit too. Yeah. I, I think a lot of that is Kyler Lee's performance. I think she's trying stuff and she has this way of imbuing like a sincerity to a few key scenes, which I think made, her character a lot more fun and a lot less one-dimensional than some of the other characters could have been. The moment I'm talking about is Corey and Tuesday, as I mentioned, start dating about halfway through the show. And that was another thing that I'm glad that they didn't like spend too much time on was Corey and Tuesday for basically the first half of the season are just like, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck. And then they're just like, we like each other. And then they start making out. Well, yeah, there was so many scenes where they were like fighting, fighting, fighting. And you're like, okay, is this going to be the scene where they fight until they kiss? Oh, you are putting a lot more investment onto me than I think was actually there. Oh, there were scenes like this one that I really liked, where Roger comes into the record store. And for some reason, he got handcuffed to Corey's steering wheel as part of like a sex thing. And he only had like one part of the handcuff on him. And he's like, well, they had to cut through your steering wheel. You've got insurance, right? Ha ha ha. Laugh, laugh, laugh. Tuesday unclips the handcuff. And in this like nice little like kind of backwards hug, she handcuffs Corey's hands behind her back. And so they're kind of like handcuffed together with like laughing and kind of like stumbling around the store. Again, it was just a nice little moment where I was like, oh, these people actually like each other. Thank you. Because so much of their dialogue is how much 
they are annoyed by each other and how they can't stand to be around each other, but it feels like they still have this sort of connection. So again, seeing moments like that where you got to see them connect on a level that wasn't just a punchline made it more pleasant to watch. I think what that 80s show had from the beginning that that 70s show didn't have was that 70s show cast a lot of unproven younger actors that ended up becoming uh, great in their own ways. Whereas I think with the casting of Glenn Howerton and Kyler Lee, I actually thought that they were both very good given what they had and given the fact that it could have been such predictable pair. I mean, in many ways it was, but I actually thought they brought a lot more to it, to that will they, won't they thing. And then like, oh, they're together, but their relationship is weird. It could have been really, really bad. I actually thought they did a pretty good job, especially that scene with her where uh, she accidentally tells him she loves him on the beach. I thought was like really sincere and nice. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think most people could have done what the two of them did with it. Yeah. And I'm glad that they didn't wait throughout the whole season to bring them together. Because I really like when you've got that sort of will they, won't they, but you see that sort of spark early on. I think about like that 70s show, Eric and Donna kiss in the first episode, but then they're not together for long stretches of that show. Uh, You know, Wonder Years, there's a kiss in the very first episode too, and that works out very well i you don't need to have people hate each other for the connection to feel like there's crossed wires all the time Mm. and i think they learned that lesson for the show pretty early which was nice yeah john i have a burning question for you starting to see the steam coming off of your head so i'll let you let it out oh oh that's not that's not supposed to be there (laughs) Was there any part of the record store aspect to this show that gave you high fidelity vibes? Woo, that's hot. Only the fact that they were in a record store. Mm. And I guess, too, now that you say it, there was that sort of like, oh, the customer's always wrong attitude. A lot of the sort of transitions into scenes were you know a guy buying tickets for air supply and margaret being like oh i got you the best seats in the house and he walks away and she's like as long as they're playing in the fourth row of the balcony and i think my favorite was a guy coming in it was like a kid probably in his early 20s and he was like hey do you have any miles davis and margaret just looks at him and she's like you're not ready I was literally going to quote that part. I I, loved that line. That was a good line. But there is a lot of just hatred. But again, it seemed like so much of that came from this sort of like weird disdain of the era that they decided to occupy with this show. That's true. So much making fun of like the artists of the time and sideways jokes about these hits and singles and like oh god this thing again which i mean nobody's saying that the 80s is the greatest decade for music 
I think a lot of people may fight you on that. Uh, it's the era of the one-hit wonders, John. Yeah. Not great bands, but a lot of great singles. That's fair. But yeah, did it give High Fidelity vibes to you? Yeah, actually, more than I would have thought. Like, outside of those little jokes that Margaret had about having slept with, you know, every famous rocker from the 70s, it was like a high fidelity light to me. Corey was a music snob. Carol was stuck in the past. And actually, Tuesday was the only one who seemed to like modern music because she was a punk head. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I thought it was kind of a interesting dynamic between the three of them. But yeah. it, it is in no way high fidelity, but I did just want to take a minute to compare the two and see what you thought. Yeah, the one thing I liked about it was when it kind of turned a little bit, like I like the episode closer to the end of the show where like Margaret becomes really into Footloose. Like that was a fun little sort of turn. Oh yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Um, But there were some really good cameos too throughout it. Like, uh, you know, Tiffany was in there and Pat Benatar shows up to the, the shop as well. And Debbie Gibson was another one who was like a patron of the record store. So Made it feel a little lighter, less it self-serious, did. and less, again, just like mean. Or um, I loved when they had that soap actress get into that soap fight with Sophia. Oh, Morgan Fairchild. The... Yeah. Yeah, that was like a fun little 80s nod. That's when I thought they were doing the decade right by having that scene in there. Yeah, because Morgan Fairchild, I think, was in Dallas or Dynasty, so it was fun to kind of put her into that sort of tropey scenario i just did a quick browse of her imdb and it seems like there's a lot of general hospital type stuff in there so she's a pro yeah well ian i've got a big old burning question for you did you know about the connection between that 70s show and that 80s show That's hot. Are you saying there is a Fargo season one ice breaker thing off your car buried in the snow connection between that 70s show and that 80s show? It is just about as buried as that. So I've got a fun story for you. That 80s show premiered on Wednesday, January 23rd. That 70s show was also, again, in its fourth season. It was in the middle of it, uh, and it was on Tuesday nights. So the day before that 80s show premiered, there was an episode of that 70s show that featured Brittany Daniel, the actor who plays Sophia. Do you know about this episode? Oh, I did see that she was in an episode of that 70s show, but isn't it a different character? It's a different character, why is it a different character? Why would they have her be a different character and not the literally the episode before that 80s show premieres? They've got the actor from that 80s show appearing in that 70s show. Why didn't they just have her name be the same or give it some sort of connection or lead in to the Wednesday night big premiere of that 80s show that they had been talking about. It was one of the most confounding decisions that Fox made or that 70s show people made. 
Ian, what do you think wow. about that? Why did they not take advantage of that opportunity? How Brit- close together was she in that 70s show and that 80s show the same week? One single day. Less than 24 hours apart. That is confounding because I, when I saw that, I assumed it was a situation where she had been a character on the other show and they were like, oh, we love that actress. Let's bring her back, you know, to do a reading for this character. And then she was cast that way. She's uh, really funny. And I watched the episode of that 70s show that she was in earlier today. Hey, she's great in Joe Dirt, too. She is. Yeah, she's really Not funny. Not Joe Dirt, too. Just Joe Dirt. She got more laughs from me in the, her episode of That 70s Show than she did in That 80s Show, I will say that. Uh, because in That 70s Show, she plays Eric's cousin. It's this whole thing where she oh, is I've like... Oh, i that episode, yeah. Yeah, she's coming on to him, and she says that she's adopted, and so it's okay for them to hook up. And then so she, like, seduces him so that he puts on, like, a T-shirt and panties. And then she's like, why would you hit on me? We're related. And he's like, but you're nuts. And Kitty comes in and she's like, I saw her mother give birth to her. You're definitely related. And it turns out that Brittany Daniels character in that 70s show is like pulling a prank on Eric because he would always pull pranks on her when they were kids. And so it was this like fun, weird thing. It was an episode also written by Will Forte. And I forgot that Will Forte wrote for that 70s show. Oh, see, I was I meant to bring that up way earlier because <laughs> I don't. Well, here's another burning question for you, John. Is how do you feel about that 70s show? I never really watched it. Um, I gave it a couple episodes again, just as we were talking about this show. I wanted to familiarize myself with it again. It's funny. I don't think I could watch the whole thing again. The Danny Masterson of it creeps me out a little too much and it makes it a little hard to watch. It sucks because I think he is a like Hyde is a great character too. And we get to keep canceling Ian. I do like that 70s show. And okay. I, I thought cool. it was funny. And I think that we could get a little bit more into what works about that 70s show and what didn't work about that 80s show when we talk about why the show is canceled after this commercial break. And now, a word from our sponsors. The year was 2002. That 70s show had been on the air for four seasons. I'm not going to keep doing this voice. Oh, thank God. I don't like it. The 2001 to 2002 Fox season was an eventful one, to say the least. Some high highs and some low lows. Ian, can you think? Was that the year of Greg the Bunny? It was the year of Greg the Ah! Bunny. Dude, three-pointer, no luck, Steph Curry, that's me. We've got a couple other sort of gems in the Fox lineup. That 70s show, as I previously mentioned, aired on Tuesday nights. What else premiered on Tuesday nights? We have the first season of 24. Wow. The first season of American Idol. Wow. That's what followed that 70s show on Tuesday. I was thinking in my head, like, why didn't they just do that 70s show and that 80s show in one hour long block? But they had freaking hits in that time slot. So I I get it. I'll give them a pass, especially since that 80s show was a mid-season thing. But we also have a couple very notable bombs 
that were on Fox that season. We have, in addition to Greg the Bunny, Undeclared. Wow. Which I have to assume we'll do for our 50th episode. I hope so. I love that show. And Andy Richter controls the universe. Oh, two and a half seasons. 24 American Idol, Undeclared, Andy Richter controls the universe. All were on Tuesday nights on Fox, which is just nuts to me. Wow. When I hear the names of those shows, I think of the first scene when Family Guy came back for season four or five or whatever it was. When he comes in, he's like, well, family, we've been canceled. Instead, Fox is going to put on. And then he lists a bunch of shows. He goes, but if all of those are canceled, then maybe we'll get another shot. (laughs) Plenty of one and dones in there. Plenty of them. So that 80 show was Wednesday nights at 8 Central. As you might have expected, a very strong debut for that 80 show. 11.4 million viewers, a 17 share. So that, for those that don't know, that means that 17% of the viewing audience on at that time was watching that 80 show. Huge premiere. By the end of its 13-episode run, it had 5 million viewers. So we lost more than half of our viewing audience. The last Yikes. episode aired on May 29th. The show is canceled by Fox on May 17th. So they were they finished out their run, but yeah, it was not a very successful run. It was marked by a lot of bad reviews. Basically, critics savaged it saying it was a joke more about the decade than it was about the characters. And I think that when we talk about comparing what was what worked about that 70s show versus what didn't work about that 80s show, I think it really comes down to the focus on character. Because from the jump on that 70s show, and again, I just watched the pilot, those characters are so well-defined so quickly. Mm. And they are interesting and they're layered and they're funny. And I think it really, as you mentioned before, rests on the shoulders of Topher Grace. Glenn Howerton is very funny, as we've seen with decades of It's Always Sunny and AP Bio. This was not the right role for him. It was like making Chandler the main character in Friends. It doesn't really work. He, he, that kind of character works as a throwing zingers in from the sidelines for me. I don't think it works as well as sort of the fixture, the emotional core of a show like this. Actually, I would like you to clarify a little bit because I think of his main character, Corey, in this as a pretty basic main character, like main young white boy character. And I think that he takes something pretty basic and does a pretty good job with it. But I also would say it does not show off his his full range, clearly. So... I'm not saying um, he's bad. I'm saying that his it is bad chemistry between him and the character that he is being asked to play. See, I actually, I, I think I disagree with that. But do you think that this type of main character doesn't work as a main character? Because I think it's really frequent. I think it's very basic. Yeah, I think it can work. I think it can work, but... The thing that doesn't make this work is that, again, I think he's so cynical about everything that it makes you 
really struggle to connect not just to him, but to the people that are in his orbit. And I think ah. every character really has that. I see what you're saying. I don't care about his point of view no. really at all. Point you're of view right. being the perfect way to describe that. It's like with Swamp Thing. We never talked about the main character. We talked no. about everyone except for the main character. And Corey is very much that way. Glenn Howerton's character doesn't have his own point of view. I feel like it is the writer's point of view. And I think what helps when you have a show that is sort of built on nostalgia is when you like being in that period of time that you are occupying. And I think that quote that I brought up earlier from Linda Wallum, where she was talking about how this was a time of struggle and the divide between art and commerce and commercialism. And this was the pain that we were all feeling in that decade. I felt that a lot of the time watching this show, not as like a big, deep statement on what it means to be free versus what it means to be a drone or whatever you feel like in your early 20s. I just felt that as a group of writers who hated this time of their lives <laughs> and wanted to put us through the exact same thing. Okay, yeah, it's tough to write something you have contempt for. You really should be writing from a place of joy or something you really, somewhere you like being, not somewhere you're just making fun of constantly. And you know what? If you didn't like that time, again, have a point of view, have a perspective, bring something that feels more personal to it, as opposed to making a big comment on what the 80s were in a sitcom where nobody is likable. So with that being said, would you renew? I would renew, John. I wonder if you saw this coming or not. I would renew. I would do it. I laughed at probably like 40% of the jokes. And uh, I thought that the characters evolved when they kind of had to. I thought the last... Five or six episodes were much stronger than the first half. And I could see a stronger season two. I don't really think it's that much worse than that 70s show. I really, I think you've made some good points about the main character not having a point of view. But um, I think it's just like a pretty standard friendship comedy where they're all, you know, trying to have sex with each other, falling in love and hurting each other's feelings and whatever, and harassing each other. It was pretty much what Terry and Bonnie do. I think it's the least out of the three of Third Rock, that 70s show and that 80s show, but I could definitely see it getting better in season two. I thought it already was getting better, and uh, I would renew. I think it gets a bad rap. I didn't love it, but I can see it being the same quality as that 70s show in that it's on and I'm hanging out with people and we're laughing at it. That's it. Ask me the same question. No. <laughs> John, would you remember? No. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> has, has, have, I'm, I'm genuinely worried about you right now. Has this show, has doing this show and watching so many terrible things fried you? Has this broken your brain in no. some way that is irreparable? I am concerned, sir. I am concerned for your mental well-being. This is 
trash from top to bottom. There are no jokes. There are no likable people. This makes me upset to hear you rattling on about the potential for these people. F*** these people. They are the worst human beings that I have seen on TV and I don't know how long and I did not want to spend a single second with any one of them. Man. Yeah, Roger was so funny. Oh, look at the little the the guy dance. Oh, he's so funny. He's so fu- f- you, man. What the <laughs> hell is wrong with you? So I wrote Jesus. this down pre-show. Oh my god, um, John. I think you have a tougher time seeing the show through an objective veil. I knew you would say pretty much everything that you said, all the problems that you had with the show, as I was watching it. Um, and I think that you would let a lot of it slide for other shows, but you don't for this. No, I yeah. tried to go into this thing with some sort of semblance of hope. I didn't remember thinking at any time that they were making any sort of attempt to make me smile. And that was a thing that upset me. This felt like the most cynical cash grab that I could possibly think of. Literally, they did not have a story when they thought of the title of the show. They had no forethought into giving us anything other than something kind of sort of related to what we expected. And again, they came into it with this idea that, oh, people like that 70s show because it's about nostalgia. No, they like that 70s show because they actually gave half a crap about the characters that they were putting on screen. But instead, what we got here was a series of non-jokes, a series of sort of narrative half-references to things that we could have kind of remembered when, again, this show premiered in a time when the 80s were not that long ago. I don't know who this show was for other than people trying to line their wallets. I did not like anything that I was watching. I powered through this because I love you, and you, you, sir, are making me sad. So I thought oh, they man. pretty much figured out the problems about halfway through, nope. and I thought that they changed the characters well enough nope. to go into another year where it could have been uh, much had a much stronger foundation in season two. Could you um, have stood another two seconds of RT or Roger? Yeah, no, I didn't think they were that bad. I really didn't. Wow. The last line of that 80s show is, she's hideous, look away. And that is what I wanted to do. Well, then you did. And so did most of America. So, hey, look, you're everybody's on your side, baby. All right. I know this is unpopular, but I also don't think that most people have watched the whole thing. Um, yeah. Don't watch the whole thing. Even though Corey as a character was not great, I did actually like the dynamic between the two of them, as soon as they were together, I thought it was a pretty good version of, it wasn't will they, won't they. It was more about like Tuesday peeling back the layers to her onion one by one, you know, taking off her armor to let herself be more vulnerable. Uh, I I thought she was really good. I thought that uh, the sister was a great character. Her dynamic with the dad was really great. I loved the way it changed. I thought her boyfriend was really funny. I loved the sailor. I I thought he was a really funny character. I thought he was one of the more consistently funny characters. And I think maybe that's just because I didn't have to see him as much. And again, 
he was a character that wasn't actively trying to destroy the spirits of the people around him like so many of the other characters were consistently throughout the show. Uh, yeah, but I mean, same with Veep. Like, I don't care about that. Yeah, but Veep has jokes. Veep is actually funny. Veep is trying to say something about the world that we lived in or the world that we currently live in. And what that 80s show is doing is taking a time period, shoving our faces in it, saying, hey, remember this? Remember this, you stupid idiot? And then saying, here, just because we are putting these characters in front of you and we are giving them more lines than some of the other people in your lives, that means that you're supposed to like them without giving them any reason for us to like them. I think they give us reasons to like them. I I think that's a... I don't understand what you are saying about Corey being anything more than a vapid and whiny and irritating human being. The only thing that makes him a little bit more interesting is when he is with Tuesday. Yeah. That is the only thing that makes him a little bit more tolerable. And I am glad that they brought them together, but the show just doesn't have anything to say about anything. And what it does have to say from the points of view of these really gross characters like RT, like Roger, again, even when you give Roger something to be happy about, a girlfriend or something, it's she's sleeping with him too much. Oh, poor Roger. We, oh God, we're supposed to feel bad for Roger because uh, his girlfriend is just like keeping him up and like throwing ice at his face to make him sleep with her. Like what, what is that? I, Oh my God. I know I recently said that blade was the worst show that we watched. This is the worst show. This is far and away the most upset I've been watching a show because of what I felt like it was trying to accomplish, which was not a freaking thing. Mm -hmm. I am riled. All right, so I, I know why you don't like this show because, right, you don't think it's funny, and I get that. But I think also as soon as you see people, like, being mean to one another or whatever, like it, like RT's a deplorable human being, I think there's a part of you that just, like, shuts off the uh, ability to look at it in a... If RT was anything more, I I think you then, just really hate no, that stuff so much. That I do you hate don't that necessarily stuff. that like then all of a sudden everything else loses the benefit of the doubt for for you as a viewer. And I'm not criticizing you. I just think for you as a viewer, that's like a thing that you do is you're like this guy sucks, and then the rest of it's just over for you. I don't like the way that you are coming after the way that I watch shows and the judgment that I am passing on shows because of how I feel about certain characters. I can like bad characters who are bad people. If they are interesting, if there's something more to them, RT is a character. All he does is try to, you know, brag to his ex-wife who he'd never see and hit on younger women and make jokes I think this is actually a Roger joke where they're singing like 99 loof balloons and he goes, look at the loof balloons on her. Right. What's funny about that? There's, it's just making a reference and objectifying somebody. There's nothing jokey about that. And again, make an attempt to 
make a joke about something as opposed to just putting somebody down or just like saying something to say it. That is the thing that upset me about it because it felt not just mean, but it also felt lazy. They didn't take any sort of time to go beyond that laziness and give us something that was actually clever or interesting. See, but I think when you say they didn't take any kind of time, they didn't even try. It's like, I think they did. I think I've pointed out plenty of ways in which they they did learn their lessons or they did try to do something else or spin the characters in different ways outside of what made them Putting them in different scenarios isn't necessarily making them evolve as people. And that is, I think, a distinction that the show thinks that it is evolving these characters by giving them something new to do. That's not evolution. That's just transplanting somebody who sucked before and putting them in a different place where they could suck a little bit more no, in a but different it gives situation. RT has new perspective as Katie is evolving as a character. It makes Sophia uh, change. It makes RT change. Roger gets a girlfriend and he's a little bit different. I'm just going to pick at one thing that you are saying as opposed okay. to everything. The RT changing thing. Are you talking about when Katie fakes the trip to uh, Mexico for her spring break. And he's like, no, I just wanted you to be honest with me. Uh, if you were in trouble with your credit card debt, I would have just paid that off. Is that the thing that you're referring to? Or No, is that I'm, I'm referring else? more to the the part where uh, Katie is forcing RT to start taking a bigger part in the chores around the house. And it's not a big change, but it is a change. It's a like, negotiation because... He needs something to happen. That is not RT changing. That is RT being so desperate to make sure that he does not come off as a complete mess, that he needs to do something. He is a businessman who is being forced into a compromising position within his negotiations, not changing as a person. He is told repeatedly throughout that episode that he looks like crap because Katie's not ironing his shirts. He smells terrible because his entire house is a pit. He's changing because he needs to be hygienic and not because <laughs> he is a different person or a person that is evolving in some sort of way. Those things being put on a person do force them to change, and he does. not Even if it's not even a great reason for it, he still – it's like Katie's not on the hook for all the household chores anymore, you know, like – these are all, even though they're bad things that people do, these are real things that people do. This is... Uh, real people take the clean dishes and throw ketchup on them and throw them back in the sink. These are real things that real people do. I think that it is real that there would be a dad in the 80s who has always earned and thinks women do everything for him. And then all of a sudden, she becomes a part of her own self and she pushes back against it. And I think that is more of, that's more of the personal growth is with Katie than it is with RT, but there's still, it does come from, I think a real place. I really don't. I think that it is a place where, yeah, you need to have Katie stand up for herself because we ran out of jokes to say about the other thing. It seems so, Again, just so cynical because I think they exhausted everything that they could possibly do 
with one person's character trait. And so they had them do something else. It didn't feel like any sort of progression. It just felt like they ran out of ideas. Okay, let's uh, let's just put them in this other thing and we'll, we'll see what works. And that mm-hmm. just doesn't work. It doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel like it's coming from any place that's earned. And I think that's the key. None of this stuff I think is those earned. Are None easy of the jokes Earned is such a buzzword that you're using right now. I think plenty of the jokes are earned. It's comedy math. It's breaking expectations. A joke is as easy as you think I'm going to say something and I say something else. That is how jokes work. And they throw probably a hundred of those at you per episode. But when you're throwing that much at somebody, how can you be surprised at anything? It's not, there's nothing that I don't know. You're the, you love, fresh you love clever dialogue and, and heavy written scripts. Like, yeah. What kind of thing like is that for you to say? Like you love a hundred like jokes in a, in a row. I I'm love not them because they have some sort of perspective and they come from some place that feels real or some sort of emotion that is practical or not practical, but just some sort of thing that somebody would feel. And you're saying it in a unique and different way. I don't think it's super unique and different, but I do think it's not as bad as you or most people say. I think it's pretty much on par for the first season of that 70s show. And I'm going to say it friends like it's just friendship stuff. They're all falling in love and falling out of love and making jokes and nothing really happens. But the thing about those characters is that they listen to each other. I don't think these characters listen to each other at all. I don't think that they really care enough about the people in their orbit to make this anything sustainable because I, I and I think that I the, the hard turns that are, keep happening, you know, mm-hmm. especially halfway through the season when they realized the sort of walls that they were writing themselves into are very indicative of that sort of lack of willingness to look at the characters and again, just trying to throw them into something that they could make fun of. And again, make fun of is a strong word because in order to make fun of it, you have to come from some sort of place where you have an opinion on it other than, oh, this was stupid, remember this? And that's just where all of that stuff seemed to come through. It just felt like it came from... You take a situation and you put your characters into them and that's where the calm comes out. That's all it is. It's not some high art. This is an early 2000s Fox show for teenagers that is just has a bunch of dumb jokes in it. That's it. I don't have to think any harder about it than that. Like, this isn't high art here. I'm not saying it needs to be high art. I'm just saying it needs to have something to it, something driving it that feels real in some way. And I'm saying if I put it on, I'm not uh, canceling my plans to catch a new episode. But if it's on, I will laugh at it. That's my point. Oh, man. I did not laugh. And I <laughs> it genuinely upsets me that you think that you put this sort of stuff on me as like a person, as a viewer that is. No, I just I think it's the way you watch things. That's that's all. I'm not. Uh, and I think most people again, most people would agree with you. You're coming from the power position here. Everybody hates that 80s show. I wanted to like it. I want to like everything. I really do. I'm glad you liked it. 
this was a miserable experience oh, I, for me. I didn't I like it, John. I didn't like it. But I would renew it. What are you talking about? <laughs> what is this thing that you were saying right now? I'm saying it's just as funny as any of that other stuff. Oh, around that t- it's, just, it's the same. It's all no, the it's, same No, me. it's not. No, I oh, do. I think oh, so. Oh, God. I think you need to check in with yourself a little bit. Where can people find us if this isn't the last episode that we ever do? <laughs> uh, at One and Done TV on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social. Email us any suggestions for future episodes or tell us why that 80s show is the greatest thing of all time and why not only is John wrong, but also I'm wrong for calling it just like it is what it is. You think it's actually an incredible, incredible show and we need to reevaluate not only our taste in television, but ourselves as human beings. Um, you can check out our website, oneanddonetv.com, and go ahead and buy yourself a large pan scraper so you can scrape off all those bad feelings you have from listening to us talk about that 80s show right now. Anything to plug, John? I'm empty. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.